Welcome to this new episode of Better with Dr. Erica. Now, this episode discusses mental health, addiction, and compassion. It also features Dr. Centrell Crawford. Dr. Centrell is an adult psychiatrist that focuses on addiction recovery, who also is an author and consultant. But let me also add, she also did a documentary, so you're going to want to stay on and hear about that. Now, it doesn't matter whether you've struggled personally with addiction, this episode has something for everyone. Chances are that you know someone that has been challenged by addiction in your professional or personal life. Also, this episode gives nuggets that can assist in preventing getting to the point of addiction. Now, let me get to these questions that this episode will answer. Number one, what are some reasons that working on inpatient psychiatric units or any work environment can be stressful at this time? What are some underlying causes of addiction? What is the difference between methadone and suboxone treatment? Do black people have opioid addiction? And should your doctor listen to you? And if they don't, what do you do? Now, let me take a moment and tell you some stats about addiction. Now, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 13% of Americans reported starting or increasing substance use as a way of coping with stress or emotions related to COVID-19. Because you know COVID has been stressing folks out. Now, a study by LifeWorks and the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation found that nearly one-third of people in the U.S. who drank alcohol have increased their alcohol consumption since the pandemic began. And nearly 30% of those who use drugs reported an increase in drug use. So, again, people that drank or used drugs started using more. Now, 11.7% of Americans 12 and over use illegal drugs. Now, almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction, yet only 10% of them receive treatment. So what does this say? Addiction and substance use is going up with the pandemic. It's affecting a lot of people. And most of the people that affect it, only about one in 10 actually get the treatment they deserve or need. So all of this is to say that substance use was a problem prior to the pandemic, and it's just progressively getting worse. But let's start talking about ways it can get better. Now, this conversation somehow makes talking about addiction, mental health, and self-care fun. So get ready to learn a few things and also see that psychiatrists don't have to be stuffy. Now, one more quick thing. You're going to hear some shareable moments. So let me tell you how we do it in Better Nation. All you have to do is post on social media with the hashtag Better Nation. See, that's pretty simple. So... Instead of me just telling you about the episode, let's go ahead and get to it so you can hear it. Better with Dr. Erica. Hey, it's your host, Dr. Erica, and we are here for another episode of Better with Dr. Erica. And I am so excited about what I have for you. You're going to want to stay on to the last moment because we are going to be talking about all of the things. Now, the first thing I want to let you know is I have a special guest for you that you're going to totally love. So, You know, if we were in concert or I was in person, I'd say get a round of applause to bring her to the stage, but we're listening on a podcast and you might be driving. So a round of applause could be a little dangerous. So in our head, we're going to hold space 
for the applause we would have if we were in person. So let me tell you a little something. Now, you know, I said, I always say reading bios is not my ministry. So for season three, the new thing is I'm not reading full bios. It's not happening. It's not going down. You know, I'm going to act, I'm going to live in my greatness. So I'm not going to do a bio, but I still need to tell you who it is. So I have Dr. Centrell Crawford, also known as Dr. Centrell, who is super phenomenal. And I know I say that a lot, but you know, it's probably because I know some really good people. It's a blessing. Who knew? And I said, I'm not going to tell you her whole bio. So I'm just going to tell you a couple of quick facts and then let her fill in the gaps. The first thing is, you know, I always love it when I bring on another psychiatrist. So I have an adult psychiatrist that focuses on addiction recovery today. Now, the last time I had another psychiatrist that focused on trauma, and this also will give you a chance to see that You know how they have those rumors that psychiatrists are all, and I'm going to say it because this is what people tell me. They're like, oh, psychiatrists are crazy. You're going to get a chance to hear that we are regular people and can be smart and can be relatable. So I love bringing psychiatrists on here so we can start debunking this rumor that we are all nuts, barely holding it together and have no social skills. So I'm not about that life. So not only is she a psychiatrist, she's done a documentary, she's a media personality, author, consultant, and speaker. She's just great. And that's all I'm going to say because I said I wasn't reading bio. So if I say too much more, you're going to make me be a liar on my own podcast. So Dr. Centrell, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself? So yeah, yeah. Hey, well, I don't know. You know, I do have a great personality. I do agree. But I might be a little bit on the crazy side. This is tad. (laughs) This is tad. I don't know. I am, you know, I've, I've noticed I've been a lot more adventurous lately. Uh, and I actually do want to be that old psychiatrist, like, you know, who feels like, you know, they haven't heard, you know, nothing new, but you know, my patients actually always surprise me. And I always hear something that I'm like, man, how do you come up with that? Why are you doing that? Where did you get that from? It's just never uh cookie cutter. And that's <laughs> why I'm so happy I picked psychiatry because I promise you, I've never had the same story twice. No matter if it's the same disease, the same disease state, they're on the same medication, they always come with something. I'm like, man, how did, where did that come from? But I do, I am very multifaceted. I do do psychiatry and that's my primary um, uh, passion. You know, I will never stop being a psychiatrist, but I also like to be in the media I have my own podcast, Urge Fix. Uh, I'm best-selling author of a book. I just wrote another book maybe two weeks ago that I'm working on editing called No Stress. And it's really about the pandemic and how I literally, that was like the most stressful besides Katrina for me, that uh, time in my life. And I also really like making documentaries. Um, I hope to not only make my own documentaries, but get more doctors to go into the documentary space because, you know, you go and look at these documentaries that are made by producers who are not physicians. And then it's like, wait, you know, that's not exactly accurate. It's a great depiction, but, you know, you really would want a doctor to be a little bit more closely infused in the the, the making of it, the writing of it, and the filming of it than we have on TV today. So those are my passions, uh, psychiatry, sharing a knowledge with people about psychiatry, mental illness, addiction, um, as well as just documentaries. So that's what I do in my day. 
24 hours a day, 365 days a year. <laughs> I'm getting tired. I, I'm, I'm so tired, but you know, I'm so tired. <laughs> when you have, when you have goals and when you have passion, you know, sleep becomes less important. I do get enough sleep because, you know, I do have to function, especially as a psychiatrist. That's like, you know, that's important that I get rest, but there are times where I wonder if I need more sleep. Well, I, I, I can honestly confess a lot of times I need more than I'm getting because one of the things we'll be talking about a little bit later is the fact that in these journeys to change the world, we start doing all of the things and sometimes all of the things squeezes out us. <laughs> but I spend a lot of time because I preach on self-care. I spend a lot of time taking care of myself and making sure that I have a day off at least. I'm still working on the true day off because I feel like for me, in my mind, I'd be like, it's a day off, but I'll still be doing emails. I'll be checking invoices. I I may be having to write copy or it's off from one thing and then I'm seeing a patient. I have not mastered off off anymore. You know, I haven't either. <laughs> Off and I had three meetings, uh, and I prepared for this podcast. I had I actually woke up to a, I actually I'm starting to get on TV now. I woke up on for a media segment, and then I went to eat, <laughs> and that was like I was like four hours of nothing. Yeah, and you see, this is this is my off day. I did a consultation, um, went to a class, and now we're together. So we're working on it. Hopefully. I won't say when this airs, but hopefully within a month of when it airs, both of us will have had a day off that we literally did nothing related to any business of any sorts. You know, I think well, that's a goal. Let's schedule it together and we do it together. We'll support yes. you in that journey. I mean, think about how good accountability partners. So we can be accountability partners, not for business, but for self-care. <laughs> I mean, oh, I love be it. Powerful. I love it. And as you see, a lot of times it's about finding this synergy. And one of the reasons both of us love doing this kind of work is, you know, how I talk about that better seven, those seven essential ways to have that better life is that one is support. And there are so many different ways we can utilize each other for support. And sometimes we think about study groups when it comes to school and those kinds of things. But there are so many ways that we can help each other with our personal goals beyond just our professional goals. Now, I know they're already getting to know you a little bit, but I usually start off with a few this or that questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. The first one is steak or sushi? Steak. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> I, I just had to give up steak because my microbiome told me to. Oh, um, man. I, so I told you self-care, so I started working out as well. So my, uh, I need to go get my blood type. So, cause my trainer wants me to do blood type diet. And he was like, I was like, Oh, he's like, what you had for breakfast this morning? I was like steak and eggs. He's like, I don't know if you're supposed to eat steak. I was like, I hope that's not a, <laughs> a hard stop because it ain't happening. Oh girl. I hear you. <laughs> I had to finally, I, I, I did it. I went to dinner with a colleague of ours, Dr. Yvette, and that was my goodbye to steak. Really? You said yes. goodbye to it? For a while, at least until my microbiome says, don't avoid it anymore. Because it changes, it changes. But, 
you know, I'd been doing some shenanigans, but this isn't about me. The next one is tea or coffee? Coffee. Now, what co- are you like a regular coffee drinker or do you drink that fancy stuff? I do drink the fancy stuff, uh, but usually I like dark roast, whatever I like. Um, I actually, uh, I just try all kind of different coffees, but honestly, I guess it's, I don't know how fancy Colombian coffee is, but I do like Colombian coffee. Um, uh, and also New Orleans has its own coffee. So okay. Chicory. So I like the chicory because, mostly because, you know, my family and my aunt really loved it. And so I kind of just took all the stuff she loves and kept it. Oh, I'm not mad at that. And it seems like they would have special coffee to go with those beignets. Yeah, exactly. That I, that mostly don't need to be beignets. eating. <laughs> you but know, I will think in moderation. Um, I will probably eat some beignets in May because the American Psychiatric Association Conference is down there. That's true. It is. That I'm going to make a quick appearance at because all my listeners know I, I still don't totally do people with COVID. I don't either. <laughs> I was walking around my hotel, I swear. In three days, I have, I've been the only person I have seen with a mask on. I'm like, Really? Really, well, y'all? Yeah, they keep lifting the mask mandate, and then, you know, more and more people are taking it off. And I actually notice, you know, when I see other people that are off, then I were like, wait, I don't have mine off. Where, you know, and I have to put mine on. I have to remind myself, yo, we're still in the pandemic. Like, you know, I don't know how we shifted from pandemic, pandemic, pandemic to war, war, war. And like, wait, did we end the pandemic? Nah, nah. But but according to MSNBC and CNN, all that's going on is the Ukraine. Yes, yeah, you know, but you know that's the problem with people, and that's why people don't trust the news because, you know, they kind of just. Anyways, we won't talk about that. It's okay. We we that would be a whole, a whole situation that by the time we got done, I'd probably be sitting talking to my therapist about the high levels of stress that I am managing. And that is actually what my new book is about. No stress. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, do you have a release date for it yet? Uh, no, I do not. Uh, probably uh, uh, May 15th. That sounds like good. Well, well, keep myself and my listeners posted because I need anything to decrease, decrease stress because there is all of the stress. There's, there's just, we could do an entire podcast talking about everything that is potentially stressing us out. Right. Mostly, and the- <laughs> you know, it's like everything between I was actually having a conversation with someone this morning trying to talk to them about how psychiatry has shifted with the pandemic and how everyone is sick- sicker. Our patients are sicker, but also the staff I work with is sicker. Like they're burned out, they're stressed out. You know, I don't feel like they necessarily have all the coping skills they need to deal with what's going on. And for a lot of places, there's been a lot of staff turnover. So establishing and maintaining safety is much different that I don't know if you've had the same experience. I'm like, I can do the same job I did four years ago. And it feels like I worked three days this week. You would have thought I worked two weeks. So I actually, I am having the same experience. Um, and I started having this experience when we first went to COVID, uh, to COVID. Um, uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, I do have a new position 
So I was sort of blaming it on the switch in staff, like, oh, you know, and it's actually more acute as a crisis unit. So I was like, oh, maybe it's just the environment I'm in. But the more I'm getting to know the staff and the patients, I actually realized it's actually not the environment or them. It's actually just, well, I guess it is the environment, sorry. It's not them personally. It's because there's low staff, there's turnover. You know, uh, I've noticed that, you know, sometimes there should be two nurses and there's one. Mm -hmm. Uh, There should be five techs and there's two, but then we still have the same amount of patients you know, um, and then also I've also noticed, this is one thing I noticed, like people are a lot more tired. So they're like dozing off. But then I realized, wait, this is their second and third shift because there's no one to replace them. So we had an incident recently, two days ago, where the patient threw urine at us. And I've never had that happen before. Oh, I had somebody throw urine at people yesterday. (laughs) She threw urine at two people, but luckily I was in another room and I missed it. I missed it by hair. So yeah, like, like, Jesus Christ, like, why is this normal for us? (laughs) Girl, between urine and feces and and menstrual blood on the walls, I mean, nobody wants it. Like, what is going on? Anyways, like- Nobody wants our jobs. No one wants our job. That's why they need to pay me more. But, you know- (laughs) And then the patients are like, I don't know why you didn't discharge me. Like, because you put poop and menstrual blood on the wall. Like, how is that normal? Well, and that's kind of how they'll be like, why can't I go? You punched somebody out yesterday. Right. You You can't punch somebody out and then say you're safe. But yeah, it's like the other thing I've noticed other than just people being tired is I feel like a lot of places I go, the staff is traumatized. So I end up seeing a lot of trauma reactive behavior in the staff also because of everything that's been going on and the intensity. So, um, well, there's intensity. And then also, you know, one of my last positions, uh, we had, we had two COVID outbreaks while I was there. Oh, one of them, a nurse died. Oh gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. And so this is actually when it was sort of relaxing and after vaccines and, you know, there was so much debate about vaccines mm-hmm. vaccines. And I don't even know why healthcare, and I'll say this out loud. I don't know why healthcare workers even had that debate when we literally have to have vaccines throughout our credentialing, throughout our education. So why were they, yep. but that's another conversation. And so it was very stressful when it was like she didn't die and she didn't catch COVID on the unit. Like they just kind of just like ignored it. It was, anyway, I left that job, but. Girl, we won't even start talking about COVID at work. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but I'm I'm curious to hear, because I know my story of how I got interested in it. How did you get interested in psychiatry? You know, um, <sighs> I don't know. It was, it just fell on me. Um, initially I went to school, uh, to be a surgeon and that was, yeah, actually there's a lot of people who went from surgery to psychiatry I've met, um, which are completely different lifestyles. So I don't even know how we got in the middle of that, how any of us did that, but I went to, because I was really big fans of Ben Carson and I read his book and that kind of pushed me to become a doctor, et cetera. Um, because I didn't really have a lot of role models in my home. Okay. Uh, I had role models, but I didn't have anyone who was like, 
who had done that path. So I pretty much focused on that and I I realized, you know, it's actually a very big commitment, even though I probably work just as much as a surgeon now with all my various interests. But, you know, I definitely was like, I don't know about this. And I didn't like the attitudes. And so I thought anesthesia. So I started looking into that. And then one day I was in a case, a cardiothoracic case, and I actually was on cardiothoracic surgery at the time. And I had a patient, he was my patient, and I ended up in the OR with him first. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not first, but before the other sur- the surgical team. And I was with anesthesia and the nurses setting him up. And he was about to jump off the table Ooh. because he said, he told them apparently that he wanted to be sedated prior to even coming into the OR because it was so stressful for him. It wasn't his first rodeo. So I... uh was looking at the anesthesiologist to calm him down because I thought, you know, anesthesiologist, you know, you know, that's lessen anxiety for surgeries. Mm-hmm. That's my thoughts. And when that didn't happen, because there was so much that she had to do, not that she didn't do a great job. I actually went and held his hand and started talking to him about just his daughters, uh, the surgery and what he plans to do after the surgery. And, you know, that helped him, uh, relax and become less anxious. And he didn't jump off the table because, you know, they had to do a lot of stuff to set him up because he was actually getting a pneumonectomy. Um, and I was like, Oh, maybe the OR is, isn't for me. And I was like, well, what did I just do there? You know, I listened to his story. I validated his feelings. Um, um, and I held his hand. I helped him out, you know, relieved his anxiety and I was like well who's that who does that you know mostly psychiatrists you know there ain't nobody who's gonna listen to you as much as a psychiatrist even though people always like oh it was too long it was too long because you were there expressing yourself and you felt listened to I mean sorry it's too short like oh my psychiatrist didn't see me long enough no that's because you were present in the moment and time just passed it wasn't because I rushed you yeah you know, and I, I always, I feel patients don't realize, like, when you're present and you're and you're having an experience and you're talking about stuff and you're working on stuff, time does pass. You know, but that's a whole nother conversation. Well, I love it. And I was not like you. I did not enjoy surgery at all. I always knew that was not going to be my, that was not what God <laughs> called me to do. What did you want to do? Um, I'd want to be a pediatrician since I was three. Okay. And then I did it um, the summer before my third year, which for all of you out there, at that point, that was the time that we did clinical. So before I did any clinical work, I just woke up with this epiphany that I was going to be a child psychiatrist and had absolutely no reasons why. Really? Um, but but okay. then when I finally got to rotations, I had to, I rotated with probably the most discrunt disgruntled, stressed out, unhappy pediatricians on the planet. There was nothing fun. The only thing fun was like newborn nursery because there were babies and I love babies. But yeah, I I never doubted that again. I was like, oh, oh, I can't do these people. I used to be married to a pediatrician slash child psychiatrist and uh, 
you know, she actually was happy, and that that group of pediatricians were happier. But some of them weren't as nice. I I was shocked that pediatricians weren't as nice as I was expecting. I kind of always thought they run around with stickers and suckers. Yes, <laughs> and, and some of them do, but some of them don't. <laughs> and and I do think there's a point where just like any field, when you're working with a bunch of work burned out people, that may not feel like it's your calling even though I feel like I was I had my little epiphany before all that that just confirmed it well it's your calling because if you woke up with it it definitely you know yeah somewhere my life has a lot of epiphanies a lot of divine intervention involved don't go anywhere you're not gonna want to miss more with Dr. Centrell better with Dr. Erica it's time for what's up with Dr. Erica Now, right after Dr. Centrell and I taped this episode, we picked a day as self-care day to be totally off. Now, I've told you before, I'm good for not going to one job, but still being at home doing another. Now, we decided to be self-care accountability partners. I highly recommend it because your health and mental well-being is just as important as your work. I bet you're wondering how the day actually went. Well, it started off with me and this computer working on documents and the podcast. I did attempt to be leisurely with it and give myself a cutoff of noon. Um, I then left, saw the acupuncturist, then I checked into the hotel for a staycation. Now, you know, as I said, it's still going to take a little bit of practice because I didn't make it to self-care relaxation the whole day. Now, I'm a huge fan of the staycation, but I've told you that before. But, you know, this may be your first time hearing me talk about the staycation. But once I checked in, work was over and I relaxed. The lesson was that taking time off and really being off can take practice. So I'm going to continue practicing being really off and I encourage you to do it too. I also encourage you to try having an accountability partner for self-care. We get accountability partners for everything else. So back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. I know one thing you do do is a lot of work with addiction. What got you interested in working in addiction? You know, I, I, um, I'll be honest. Uh, so when I was getting my divorce, I started drinking. So, uh, and I realized when I went to get help for it, people were shunning me more than oh, wow. trying to help me. And then I realized people with addiction have that same problem. You know, nothing else was wrong with me, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so why, when I trying to get help, you know, it's more of a, your fault, your fault. Well, it probably, well, my divorce probably was my fault, but everything that if I'm trying to help myself, why can't I get help? And I Mm -hmm. find that there's so much shame and struggle and lack of resources for people who deal with addiction, rather it's a professional or it's a, it's someone who's on the streets, homeless person Mm -hmm. that, you know, someone has to have compassion, you know? So that's how I started into it because at first, you know, I got just as frustrated with people with addiction as, uh, everyone else, you know, they come in high They're, you know, they say they want to change. They can't change. They're just, but sometimes, you know, people just need a little bit more of a, a listening ear. And maybe a little bit more of a plan. You know, it's really hard to change your behaviors if you're still in the same environment. You're still homeless. Mm-hmm. You still don't have money. You still don't, 
you know, your family has turned their back on you for reasons that may be valid. But, you know, if the only coping skill you have right now is to get high, then, you know, if you don't see any other options, if no one helps you see another option, then you won't change. So that's why I got interested in it. Well, and I I definitely appreciate you being so open to share your story. And also that puts you in such a unique position to really be compassionate to some people that really need it. Because I I won't lie, I know when we were prepping and we were talking about what some of the things you did was and and we were talking about opiates. I literally just worked at somewhere that I've, it's been so long since I've seen people that did this much heroin, like IV heroin, um, you know, it's like, do you use Percocets or Vicodins? Nah, use heroin. And it's like, I've worked I've, and I live in an area where, where I'm from is like in the middle of the meth capital in the Midwest. I'm from Missouri. And then I remember when I trained how many people in Atlanta had, was were using crack. And one of the things I really appreciate for people that really have a passion for doing this kind of work is one of the hugest things I think that's important as psychiatrists and as physicians in general is to be able to be compassionate and non-judgmental mm-hmm. because I feel like there's so many spaces that people can walk into and be judged. So I'm just really thankful that you're doing this kind of work. Yeah. You know, and, and we also created more spaces. Like we weren't dissatisfied with the outside world judging us. Now we, we put it on the phone and we log into Facebook and all these other mediums and we're getting judged. We make a comment. Don't make a comment. Someone doesn't like you are going to get bombarded. So people are having less compassion overall. I think, um, um, you know, I did, uh, another podcast recently, uh, and I was doing my own research, you know, I actually heroin man, people, I'm getting people with fentanyl, like like IV fentanyl, like Jesus Christ. First of all, where did you get it? You know, let's start there. Where did you get it? Uh, I'm getting PCP. I'm getting all these drugs that honestly I haven't had had exposure to in a while. Um, I'm in Philadelphia right now, and you know, one of the what I was going to say was one of the things people asked me, you know, about the opiate epidemic, um, as you know, oh, it's not. Uh, a black person thing, you know, black people, you know, they use crack, you know, actually, no, (laughs) not anymore. You know, that has changed, you know, and uh, the research is showing that more and more black people are addicted to opiates. And I think people are not realizing that. And it's sort of like a silent epidemic in the community. You know, I know we're used to the, the crack and sometimes the PCP, but we're no, we're not even aware that people are using these other drugs opiates um so i've been definitely trying to educate more black people on uh their exposure to it um i don't know i it was a podcast in atlanta and i think uh people are recognizing it well it's it's all over and one of the things a lot of us see is that things vary by region and socioeconomic class like the the drug of the poor shifts depending on where you are, where it's like when I'm in the Midwest and Tennessee, people with limited financial resources use meth. You know, when I was training in Atlanta and a lot of the time I spent in public facilities in Atlanta, if you didn't have much money, you used crack. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting going to Western Massachusetts where everybody was using heroin. And I'm like, I had a bunch of people speedballing. And for all of you out there, speedballing is using IV cocaine and heroin together. And I hadn't had somebody talk about speedballs for over 20 years. I was like, I'm like, you did what? For reals? What? That That's what you were doing? You thought that was a good idea? Um, but I think there's so much in these discussions around, I love that you brought out the idea of shame, self-talk, the need for self-compassion along for us to be compassionate with other others to be able to help ourselves and communities move through this to end up to a place of better health. Um, because I don't think anybody wakes up deciding I want to be an addict today. That's just, that's just what I feel like doing. And I feel like one of the biggest things of our jobs is to try to figure out what is, what is underneath the addiction. Cause nobody wakes up and decides, Oh, I think I want to be an alcoholic or I think I, I think I want to use crack. You know, and I think people need to realize, I actually wrote a uh, blog several years ago uh, when I first started this uh, I, with that exact title. Like I, no one woke up and said, you know, when they were five year old, they didn't go to their mom and said, you know what? I think I want to be strung out on um, dope, homeless, not taking showers for months. And I want you to never talk to me again, mommy, because I've stolen from you. I'm not taking care of myself. I'm, you know, no one woke up like that. You know, most kids when they're five, what well, is the cutest thing? My nephews are like the cutest thing ever. Oh. They, you know, like like they are like a joy. Like they don't have those uh, those. Uh, they haven't been traumatized. They, they haven't been exposed to much stuff. You know, they're pretty much protected, and they and I hope we continue to protect them. But then, what what are people being exposed to when they leave our house? And how does that affect them? You know, you know, when we talk about trauma, when we talk about uh, peer pressure and kids nowadays, Jesus Christ, uh, I just came from a kid's unit. Uh, bullying. God, that thing. Bullying is bad. I, 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 you know, I used to get talked about, you know, I used to be called crawfish, you know, because my last name is Crawford. So I'm from New Orleans. They used to call me crawfish. I used to be like, oh, you're fatty. My head is big. People, But the, the level of bullying today that our kids are exposed to and what they do in response to that bullying is completely different. You know, so um, those are some things to think about. You know, no one... Woke up in the morning and said, I want to get high today. Well, after, you know, then no one dreamt of being an addict. Yeah. And there is so much trauma out there because I did an episode with Dr. Alana Curry and there's so much trauma people have experienced to the point where it's become so normalized. They don't even realize it was trauma. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping my, my wish is that as we're able to move forward and people become more self-aware, more compassionate, have a better understanding of mental health and mental wellness and, you know, the new term mental fitness Mm -hmm. is that we're able to get to some of these underlying things before people have these humongous consequences. And none of you, just with addiction, you know, people are very judgmental when it comes to mental health in general, as if the person chose to have these type of symptoms or depression or anxiety, or even worse, that they chose to be schizophrenic. You know, I was reading a, a article this morning about 
what's her name? Lord Vornes? Vorhorse? She was on Saved by the Bell, the black girl. Oh, Lark Voorhees. Voorhees, yes. And, you know, and I always wondered where she was because I thought she was great in that show, right? And the other actors on that show pretty much had other experiences uh, or other gigs, but she kind of just disappeared. And she was so beautiful, so talented. I was like, where did she go? But anyway, so I was reading the article. You know, actually, she got diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. And it was difficult for her to get jobs because apparently, you know, when she was doing her episodes, there were times where she would be self-talking. So people were like, whoa, you know, so people wouldn't want her around. And apparently uh, she got help from Dr. Oz, Oz, apparently, with getting treatment and getting better and getting better on getting back to her career, which is great, right? But think about, uh, think about that. Like, no one thinks about other people's experiences. And there's always so much stigma, like, oh, I just don't want that person around me. But if you, you may not be able to help them, but maybe you know someone who can. Yes. Preach. You're right. Preach, preacher. Preach. <laughs> so, so the summary of that is you don't have to be a psychiatrist too, to be able to support the people around you. You don't. And, and you can always get to someone like us that we are highly educated. Sometimes I feel like we're overeducated. Um, we are extremely educated and experts in this field to help people. So sometimes if you can just get them to us, we, we can make things happen. Yeah, we can make things happen. We can give them the support they need. I mean, not only is there psychiatry, there's social work, and there's a lot of other things for them to recover. Yeah. Mental health or addiction. So I heard a, a rumor that you're doing something with Suboxone. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, right. So Suboxone. Uh, so yes, I'm opening up my first clinic in Reading, PA. It's actually been a uh, a goal of mine for the last two years, uh, but I just didn't have any finances uh, to start a clinic that focuses on helping people get out of the addiction of opiates. Um, and I find Suboxone medication-assisted treatment to be helpful. Um, so yeah, it was my first clinic. I'm looking super forward to it. Um, so besides Suboxone and Subutex and Notrexone, I also want to have a space where people with addiction can also work on their other issues. Okay. So I'm definitely going to be looking for therapists who focus on trauma, who deal with dual diagnosis, um, and also possibly, uh, uh, well, particularly the trauma, because that's one of the biggest yeah. issues I've noticed my people with addiction have, or people who have substance issues have. Um, also, I want to treat them as a whole person, you know, so I don't know how to do this. I'm still working on that, but how to make sure that they have the resource they need outside of me, you know, so I'm still working on getting the team for that. But I've been meeting some really good people uh, who have done a lot of different things. Like I've met a lady who knows how to involve the community and get people into work sources. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, a job is a big thing, you know, a job and a home. You know, what is it? Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. And I'm so glad you're doing this work because... I have to look up the current statistics, but historically Suboxone or Subutex 
wasn't offered as much to people of color. So people, a lot of people of color would end up skewed towards methadone um, and wouldn't have as much access to Suboxone, which just um, really frees people up to have a little bit more of a life. And it's just a different vehicle. Right. So the, the perk of Suboxone, first, it's an alternative to what they're using, the heroin, the fentanyl, the Percocets, you know, they're using six to eight pills a day. There's no way they can function, mm-hmm. you know, versus Suboxone, you can take one to two pills a day. Also, the difference between Suboxone and methadone is you don't have to come to me every day, right? You are free. There will be some, you know, there's other reasons why you would come to me on a more frequent basis, but you know, those will be talked about individually, but you know, methadone, they have to go there every day. And I don't wake up that early, but <laughs> you know, they got to be there, you know, six to nine, you know, most methadone clinics open six to nine. Uh, you miss your dose, you miss your dose, you know? Um, and there are ways in methadone protocol, uh, where they can get to the seven day, but you're never going to get to a month of supply also you know there's so much stigma when it relates to african americans and substances and i mean they act like i mean i don't know i guess i need to stay in my professional tone with that you know uh (laughs) you know it's just very difficult when it comes to substance use as for an African-American or anything when it comes to African-Americans, there's a lot more stigma surrounding it and a lot more bias. Mm -hmm. You know, I would love to say that my field is absence of bias, but that's not true. Um, I'll leave I wish it you. was, but it it is what it is. It's part of the reason we're all doing this work <laughs> right, <you laughs> is know, to make it better um, and, because and, it's not. And when uh, I didn't say this when you asked me why I wanted to be a psychiatrist, I was actually confirmed when I picked it and I realized how many people are like, well, why don't you, why do you want to deal with crazy people? It's like, well, I wouldn't call them that. That's not exactly how I see it. Um, and also I realized, you know, a lot of African-Americans don't deal with their problems or don't seek therapy. You know, there are so many people who are like, you know, well, they just need to go talk to Jesus. Like there's a lack of spirituality or, or, or commitment to God because you're suffering from depression or anxiety, but that's just not true. That is, that's a girl. That's a whole that's a whole nother episode too. I feel we can we can have so many, so 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 many, and and what I do want to bring one thing out because you know some of my listeners haven't don't know about all kind of the specialties and different things psychiatry does, and one of the reasons I think it's important to have people like you doing this work and to have psychiatrists involved in addiction is there are a lot of different people that do addiction now. You know, and I think a lot of times people don't necessarily realize that just because someone treats addiction does not automatically mean they're trained in psychiatry. So, you know, you have the people that are addictionologists and all this stuff. And the thing I want to encourage people, and you can speak more on this too, is check people's credentials and see what they're actually trained in and what they do. Because I'm going to give a plug here for one of the reasons why 
people that do addiction work in psychiatry have a strength that is, as we talked about earlier, is a lot of times what's underneath the addiction or what the treatment that needs to surround and hold on to the treatment around the addiction is actually mental health treatment. So take it away, Dr. Central. What are your thoughts? No, it's definitely key because, you know, when I first started in the field, um, I was actually the only psychiatrist working in the clinic I was in. You know, all the people were, one was a pediatrician. <laughs> you know, and we were dealing with all adults. There was no kids in the room. Uh, family doc, you know, there was surgeons. So, you know, one of the biggest things I get was like, oh, you're actually listening to me. Yes. <laughs> I am listening to you. Your other doctors are not listening to you? Like, um. <laughs> so it was, that was always, I was always taken aback by that. And I, I still get it. You know, I actually, the most recent time I got it was last week when the lady was telling me about Actually, I'm in a crisis unit. I probably shouldn't have listened to her so long, but uh, we were in there for 45 minutes to an hour, and she was just telling me all the stuff that was happening to her, her experiences, why she started. You know, now that she's in it, it's even worse than the reason she started because, you know, of all the things. She's like, because she's homeless now. She's like, someone kicked me. I was in my tent, and someone broke in my tent and kicked me in the face. You know, and there's other things she said, and I was like, you know, what can we do? You know, let's let's try to. She had a, she actually has a support system, so it's like, why don't we do rehab again? Why don't we go there? She didn't even come for that. She just wanted, you know, she hadn't even thought about going to rehab again. Um, she came for just to get off the streets. It was cold at night. Um, but she accepted and she actually went to rehab. Um, I haven't seen her since. Um, so I'm going to assume that she's still in rehab. Uh, hopefully she is. But she literally was like, you actually listened. I was like, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. Well, this is where I put my plug in for. If your doctor doesn't listen, you may need another one. Because... The field that the two of us are in, also known as the psychiatry, is there's a very wide variety of skill and style. And there are some people that I've witnessed it or people come in and talk about it that someone basically is like, hey, are you depressed? Are you nervous? Have you been taking your medicine? Are you having side effects? You want to kill yourself? Hearing voices, seeing things? Okay, bye. And you can't see Dr. Centrell. She is laughing. I think she is confirming what I just said. And, and that a lot of what we do is actually in the listening. So if you feel like someone doesn't listen to you, you just may need someone else. It doesn't mean that our services aren't for you. It just means you may not have the right fit. It's like dating. Sometimes you got to go through. You got to kiss a few frogs before you get to your person. No, I agree. You should kiss a few frogs to get to your person because you're not stuck and, and even the, your doctor is not stuck if you're not a right fit for them. You know, if they're not a right fit for you, you should uh, find someone else that you can connect with, that you feel is uh, able to listen to you, uh, able to get you what you need. Because life is short. You should not have to um, suffer through anything 
or suffer through any type of interaction that doesn't benefit you, that doesn't help you get to the next level, because that's what it's all about. You know, you getting to your best self. Preach again. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Let me introduce you to Better Nation. Better Nation is the community of people that follow the Better with Dr. Erica podcast that are like you and want to be better, do better, and live better. By becoming a member of Better Nation, you also get to receive member-only bonus content to put you officially in the inner circle, show notes with timestamps so you don't have to search for your favorite moments, and some bonus free coaching tools. So visit joinbetternation.com, that's joinbetternation.com, to become a VIP and be a part of Better Nation. So before we totally switch gears and start start the downslope of the wrap up, um, can you tell the people a little bit about your documentary? Because okay. I mean, isn't that like the coolest? No, the the documentary is fun and it's funny. Uh, you know, people talk about it. I I focus on addiction, but my actually documentary is about weed, and I'll tell you why. It wasn't why. You know, I'm not like this let's smoke weed. No, let's get high. No, I'm not, you know, don't do that. You know, there's, there's just, it might benefit you. It may not. Uh, and that's what my documentary pretty much focuses on. Like you have to real educate yourself on if it's going to be beneficial to you and not just allow these changes in laws to dictate that you will just go and get medical marijuana card because there's a list of disorders that they say it helps. Well, it may, but you need to educate your own self to see if it can help you. And also you need to be um, more proactive with your doctor to make sure that you're not just smoking weed, but that you're actually using it as a medication. Because why I started the documentary, I was interested in film initially, but because I practiced in Pennsylvania about five years ago when they made it law that people can have access to medical marijuana, you know, I was getting a lot of patients who had psychosis asking me if they can smoke weed. So me being a psychiatrist, you know, that scared the bejesus out of me. I guess that's a good word to use. We can use bejesus. Yeah, let's use bejesus because, you know, I definitely know that can worsen your psychosis. Like, hands down, you know, so in anxiety, not all, not all marijuana will help your anxiety. Some of it can worsen it. So there's a lot of different variables that comes with uh, using it as a medication. It's still a medic. If, if we're going to say it's a medication, it's still a medication. Just because I prescribe you a medication doesn't mean it works for you. You may have side effects that someone else may not experience. Uh, you may not tolerate it well, uh, or it may not, it may be too expensive for you, but I think people are so focused on maybe just using it as a drug because other people say it helps that they don't want to listen to the actual, uh, risk benefits of marijuana 
So my documentary explores that. And I'm not against it. I'm not necessarily for it either. But I, I'm for you educating yourself on it. And actually, it's really a fun topic. You know, I'm learning a lot from a lot of different people, people who are using it and it's helping them and people who tried it to use it and it didn't help. So, you know, I'm learning a lot. I mean, it's a different, it's a different, it's a whole different field, actually. It really is. Now, can you tell the people the name of the documentary? Yeah. So I actually, I think the name is the coolest thing. I should have said that first, right? Us versus the plant. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds so cool when you say it. Yeah, you know, us versus playing. I'm actually going to, so when I filmed it, we were in the, after I finished filming it, COVID broke out. Like literally I was, I went to Jamaica to film my last, uh, I was in LA, the last scene. I went to work uh, the next week. Then I went home and it was like March 6th and March 8th, we were on lockdown. Oh, wow. So, So I could not, so I had to debut my film uh, virtually. So my first debut was virtually. So I'm actually going to be having a live event, uh, April 20th in Reading, um, a part of my launch for my clinic. Um, but it's going to be great. I mean, I've already started talking to the people in the field. I've already secured the space. Um, it's going to be, uh, us versus the plant, uh, live filming, uh, live showing 420. You know, 420 at 6 p.m. So it should be great. Um, I'm going to have a panel at the end of it. I'm going to be a part of the panel. I have another doctor. And then I'm going to have two people who are patients of medicinal uh, marijuana. And we're just going to try to educate people on the pros and cons cons of of marijuana. And if it really is helpful for the various diseases that they say it's helpful helpful for. And what should you be cautious of if you do have a mental illness or an addictive illness? All right. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing all about it because yeah. um, I will not be in Pennsylvania that week. I will be somewhere else. I will be trying to save some lives, but I can't wait to hear about it. I so that save lives too. <laughs> I know. It's it's not an either or. It's just I got to save these lives where I sign this contract that I'll be. That's true. But you were invited. I know. I would come come if I wasn't going to be in a totally different state. I could have swore you were at the virtual. Were you not? I don't know. Yeah. 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 It was super cool. I was like, ooh, that's cool. Um, So we're going to switch gears for the speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. So the first one is what are your three favorite songs? You know, I, I saw that. I was like, you know, I want you, Marvin Gaye. Okay. Uh, there's a song I like. I don't know who is by. It's like Jeezy or something. I can't ever remember the name of the song, but I love this song. Anyway, all right. I love all Little Wayne. Okay. Everything Little Wayne and bounce music. Music. So okay. You're, you're DJ so Jubilee. Yeah, DJ Jubilee. Get it ready. I don't all even. Right. Know if you guys know what that is, but you know, so. DJ Jubilee, get it ready. There you go. I will have to check so it out. I want you, Marvin Gaye, anything Little Wayne, and DJ Jubilee, get it ready. I will check it out. Every once in a while, someone comes up with something I haven't heard because I remember when Winter was on and she talked about MILF money. I'd never heard of MILF money. Had my mama listen to it. So 
So you yeah, should, I mean, you know, uh, I, I guess I aged myself. <laughs> if anyone's from New Orleans, I definitely aged myself. It's okay. I, I age myself on the daily <laughs> on accident. So the next one is what is one free thing that you do for self-care? The, the free, I, I got stuck at the free. Well, see, it's free because people always think it's, you have to spend all this money and do all the things. I like taking baths with, I don't know, if, I don't know if it's free, but I like lavender salt. That's a, that's a low enough price point that that yeah, I like appropriate. Yeah. I like baths. It's like, you know, and I like to light candles, uh, and put the lavenders, you know, the, the, the teals, the yeah. lavender, uh, Epsom salt and candles and, uh, and blues. blues. Oh, see, and it comes in handy because the lavender Epsom salts help for when you do the workout. So you get, exactly. you you know, get all of the things. Um, so that's my favorite free thing to do. Okay. And what's something about you that most people don't know? Hmm. I don't know. You know, (laughs) uh, I didn't mean to stump you. You did. Uh, I actually like to interact. Most people take me as shy. I know okay. I may not sound like it right now, but if you were in a room with me, you uh, would think I'm shy and I am introverted, but I do enjoy the company of people more than I don't. And I okay. think people... Most people think I don't like being around people, but I do disappear a lot because I am introverted. I do understand that. And people actually suck my energy versus, you know, so I need need a little break. So I've gotten out of my shell. So I actually enjoy people. I think I enjoy people's company more than they, they would think. I know it doesn't, I know all the stuff I said I do and all the interactions I have with people, it doesn't seem as if, but you know, I, I put on a hat and as long as that hat is on, I will do that role. Yeah. But I try to take it off as quickly as possible. (laughs) I feel you. I don't know. What do you, what do you, I don't know. Am I wrong? You don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, and you know, I think. People in their regular lives can be different than people when they are are working or doing whatever the thing is, you know. That they do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was viable. That was that was that was a good answer. I'm down for it. The last one is what's something that has helped you get through the pan to the dimmick? Social media. I know I made a little blurb about how I don't like it, uh, but I think that allowed me to stay connected to people when I sort of had sort of, so I'm single. I live alone. Uh, my family, the actual state I live in, my family doesn't live in that state okay. near me. 
So when I locked down, I locked down pretty much by myself. Mm-hmm. So social, and then I, no one wanted to, everybody didn't want to interact with anybody. You know, everyone had the cooties. So social media allowed me to stay grounded and uh, interact with my friends and family um, more than, uh, uh, more than I thought it would. Um, and that allowed me not to go crazy because that there's times where I was just like, the only thing I had was the patients and, you know, they were, you know, they actually, I, uh, that clinic I was working at, I used to have like a 40% no show rate. After when the pandemic hit, the no-show rate went down to 10%. So the only thing I had was those patients telling me all their issues with the pandemic, all this debt. And then I had myself. So if I didn't have social media or my friends and family on there or Zoom, yeah, I, I think I would have gone mad. Well, glad you didn't go mad. <laughs> what helped you? For me... I'd say probably one of the biggest things for me is I live on a park and I have a very large balcony. So for me, one of the things was the balcony because I didn't want to be around people. And at that time, I live in a city or a state that really didn't shut down much. There were so many people in the park. So that way I could get a lot of fresh air without being around people. I did everything from work on the balcony. I relaxed on the balcony. I saw patients on the balcony. I even did a movie afternoon when Without Remorse came out with Michael G. Michael B. Jordan. I had my I had some popcorn. I had the movie on my iPad, and I did movie time on there. But that balcony was great because I think it would have been even harder being separated from people without being able to easily have fresh air accessible. Now I remember your balcony pictures. I remember that. Oh, the balcony and I are close. It's just. It's weird now that I went back on the road with work because after being basically off the road for almost two years, it's like, I I have mixed feelings about it. You know, I don't like it. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to get back to normal um, as soon as possible because I realize how much I neglect myself with all this travel for work. Um, and even though I was isolated and whatever, but the more things started opening, the more I started doing different things that allowed me to become connected with my, the city I live in, like working out, going to get um, masseuse massages and stuff like that. Um, And just, just being in my car, exploring the city. And I actually Mm -hmm. fell in love with it, which something that I wasn't able to do because I was always in and out. So, so since, I mean, you pretty much got right there. What are your final thoughts for the people? You know, um, I think life is beautiful, but sometimes it could be hard. So you need to find things that make you feel more of yourself and make you feel a part of the universe and Take care of yourself first. You know, so many people are not taking care of themselves first. Like uh, they say on the airplanes, put the mask on to you first before you help anyone else. 
So make sure that you're putting your mask on by taking care of yourself, uh, your mental health, making sure you're not a, everything in moderation, whether it's food or drinking or exercise, anything, everything. Um, but you first. I think if we start focusing on ourselves and taking care of ourselves, we'll have a better society. And also, when you feel better, you treat other people better. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that, you know, most people, when they are mean to me or when they're aggressive towards me, I realize that they, they have pain that they haven't resolved. So take care of yourself first and everything else should fall into place and you should have a great life. Now, I know I've enjoyed talking to you. This has been so much fun that if we didn't all have stuff to do, I'd be like, this will be the three hour podcast because we're just going to hang out and record it all. But how can the people get some more of Dr. Centrell once this episode is over? Where can they find you? They can find me on all social media platforms at Dr. Centrell Psych. That's D-R-C-Y-N-T-R-E-L-L Psych. C, sorry, P-S-Y-C-H. I do know how to spell psychiatry. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going too fast. Anyway, that's D-R-C-Y-N-T-R-E-L-L-P-S-Y-C-H. Um, also, uh, my website is www.drcentral.com. Um, so. I love it. And there's one other place you may be able to find her. Um, I know you're on a podcast platform because you are listening to us. So when you get done, just go ahead and scroll, look for Urge Fix and go ahead and follow hers too and, and take a listen. Um, I think you will really enjoy it. Yes. Is it okay I said that? It is okay. Also, well, that's another podcast. That's another conversation. <laughs> well, you know, okay, I'll tell you this. There's another thing I'm working on behind the scenes. It's actually me producing a TV, a streaming TV show called Dr. Central Show. So look for me on streaming TV in early November. Well, we'll see if she can remember to let me know and then I'll let you know. Well, actually, I would like you to be on it. So oh, we'll well, then too. great. We can make all of that happen. <laughs> well, the first thing I just want to say is, number one, thank you so much, Dr. Centrell. I know you have a million things to do. I appreciate that you let this be million and one. I need to say thank you to all my listeners out there. Number one, for trusting myself and my guests to be all up in your ears, because I do realize this is an intimate experience. The second thing is, is I know there are a zillion podcasts, literally a zillion out there, and you chose to listen to mine. So I'm going to give you a pat on the back because I feel all of the love. So thank you for helping to fill my love bucket today. My final thoughts are, we've been talking about addiction. Addiction does not come out of anywhere. One of the biggest ways to help prevent and treat addiction is to become more aware of actual baseline mental health itself. There's so much trauma people experience overwhelm. We've seen the amount of substance use and substance misuse skyrocket in the pandemic is that by really putting you first, as Dr. Centrell said, and taking care of your mental health before it even is a crisis, that can actually be something that's significantly protective when it comes to addiction, because a lot of addiction starts by being, as they say, we're going to use big words, a maladaptive coping mechanism. So if we are, and you are taking care of all of those other things, and you're taking care of your mental health, then it may not trigger you to go down the path of using enough to the point where you get addiction. We're not even, I'm not going to start going down the path of discussing um, 
genetic genetic predisposition. But at the end of the day is by really prioritizing yourself and your mental health will help cut off some of these options of places, bad things that can happen. Because I know all of all of us out there, I know this happened to you where you were super stressed and you did some stuff or said something that you normally wouldn't say or do. Or you got totally stressed and you came home and you cleaned out the, the cupboard with what you were eating and then tossed back a whole bottle of wine. Well, if we start taking care of all that stress and overwhelm on the front end, then you may not end up using so many substances. Not to mention, everybody is trying to budget. One of the things I talk to my patients is, how much money are you spending on that alcohol, that weed, those Percocets, those Vicodins, that hair, hair on and stuff? And I'm like, you really don't have a budget for that. I don't know how they find the money for that. Uh, we, we know how they do it. They just lie. Because a lot of times it's it's stealing and tricking, but a lot of folks will lie about the stealing and tricking. But I digressed. <laughs> Is that I just want you to actually prioritize your own mental health. It not only will make you feel better, it will help you make better decisions, have better mental clarity, and be able to enjoy this life that you were created for so you can be better, do better, and live better. Got that? So... You know you can find us. We drop new episodes on Tuesday. I appreciate you for listening to Better with Dr. Erica. Do me a favor. If you have not already, hit follow or subscribe so that you can get updated to everything because you know I'm a fan of dropping the bonus. The next thing is if you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review. I know it's not on every platform, but if you see it. And can you give me five stars? I know I'm like the Uber driver. The last thing is please share. We don't want this to be the best kept secret and we want you to be able to be a part of helping to heal the people you know and your community. So that's what I got for you today. I look forward to seeing you soon. Please, as usual, make sure that you give someone a call and let them know that you love them. I bet they'll tell you too. And the last thing is take your right hand, put it on your left arm, take your left arm, put it on, well, left hand, put it on your right arm, give yourself a squeeze. We might be physical distancing, but you can still get a great hug. Even if it's for yourself, it'll still feel good. That's all for now. Until next time, have a better day. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now, don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible, but I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica. 